Hello and welcome to Pullback Reveal with me, Kev Rook, the interview podcast where we talk to funny people to find out what makes them laugh. So we'll speak to comedians, actors, authors, academics, award winners, sports people, you name it, and we'll find out from them what they find funny and how humour and comedy has influenced their work. So it might get serious from time to time, hey? Why not, hey? But at the end of the day, we'll always come back to the funny. So sit back, relax, put your feet up and enjoy this week's episode of Pull Back Reveal. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Pullback Reveal with me, Kev Rook, and today's guest, Junior Simpson. Now, Junior Simpson is a stand-up that's been around a while, a um, number of years, and we talk about that as well, his career, how it all started for him, some tra- quite tragic events, actually, that, or a tragic event, I should say, that ended up kind of being the, the catalyst, in a, in a way, for him to push on and then a chance suggestion by someone else, kind of giving him the final nudge that he needed to pursue a career in comedy. He has appeared in, oh my God, so many TV shows, I can't even begin to list them all for you, but any show that you can imagine, any panel show as well from like the last 20 years, you can be pretty certain that Junior's been on it. And he's known on the circuit for his exuberance his energy his work ethic he's just one of those good guys that goes about stuff in the right way and it's it's quite interesting during this chat as well of of someone that i would place so high up there in kind of you know the the echelons of of british comedy that there's almost a hint of i don't know maybe he's not quite fulfilled what he feels he should have fulfilled you know it's um yeah it's always interesting to chat to people like this and junior is so candid and open and and honest with us about stuff it's fascinating and we even stumble into a bit of politics and i think that's pretty much the first time that that's happened in this series so far as well it's a great chat i hope that you're going to enjoy it as much as i do make sure that you check out the notes for the links to junior's social media um by his own admission during this chat he's been a bit lazy with that and he he should have but he 10 times the numbers of followers and and everything else on there than he has got currently so give him a follow find out where he's gigging he's one of those acts you go along and see him you won't forget seeing junior simpson is a powerhouse stand-up so without further ado put your feet up no i'm saying that wrong aren't i sit back relax put your feet up and enjoy episode 23 of pullback reveal with me kev rook and the marvelous junior simpson okay so i am joined now by junior simpson hi junior. hello hey how you doing kev right? yeah really good thank you man cheers for agreeing to chat to us today appreciate it i was passing by it's okay yeah, good. passing by the old uh, Skype as you yeah. you do. I see you've got one of those new catchy names now. I didn't know whether I should be called what is it C I D one seven eight. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I need to because obviously I used to have 
um, a Skype account. Well, I still do have a Skype account from way back in the day. Um, but with the with the with now you you can video call from your phone and all that kind of stuff, and also you can call on via WhatsApp. Um, other you know apps are available, but you can actually just you know call, video call and make phone calls around the world for free anyway. So I, I've not used um, Skype for ages. I, I apologize to Skype, no, but I, I, I am I, back and I'm here to stay. I, I get so much stick from people saying like skype what the the fuck do you want me to use skype who uses skype <laughs> and the only reason is it lets you record the conversation uh, uh, and then you can download it as an audio file and you're off none of the others like i don't know damn silly privacy rules or something like that you know it won't let you just secretly record phone calls i don't know why but it's uh <laughs> but no that's why yeah i normally have uh yeah comedians across the the land sort of berating me for having to try and remember their password from when they were like 15 years old i need to now find a catchier uh username though because the one which is which i was assigned doesn't really flow with my with my groove you know what i'm saying yeah it's not going to be the new stage name is it i don't think you'll be using that again Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Mr. <laughs> You'll know him from Skype as Mr. <laughs> <laughs> it's why you're all here tonight. Yeah. Oh, I, I love this guy. I hate the one that ends 787, though. He's like really shit comedian. Yeah, he's awful. <laughs> I should get sponsored by Skype. I've prob- they, their stats must have spiked in the last couple of months. I think they probably have. Um, have- so- or you know, make make some calls afterwards, and yeah. uh, find out if your people can talk to their people, and then you can get it going. I'm gonna Skype, Skype. That's what I'm gonna <laughs> turn it, turn it. And when they go to me, like, oh, we don't really use it anymore. We're gonna have to try and log into our old account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then I'll know what's really going on. <laughs> but no, man, like, I re- really appreciate your time today, and um, yeah, cracking to um, speak to such a. Uh, I'm not saying you're old, mate. I'm not saying that, but a stalwart of like the the comedy seasoned. circuit and seasoned. I think seasoned. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I've like 25 years. I've been doing this now, um, and so yeah, it's it's been it's been a roller coaster, uh, which has stalled uh, a, a few occasions. But it's 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 okay. It's still, it's still a great job. Yeah, because you. I mean, you've got to. You've got to have some motivation there, haven't you, to to keep going? Or is it that it's like that much of a love and a passion for you that it's never a chore, that it's always, you know, you can't wait to get out there again? No, I, I, I wouldn't go that far. Um, <laughs> I really wouldn't go that far. There have been times I've gone and I've been like waiting in the wings or waiting to be announced. And I'm thinking to myself, I really don't want to be here right now. Because you're looking around the room, you think, well, I have no nothing in common with these people. And they don't look like they are into whatever I'm about to lay out. And so, therefore, you know, you just go out and, and, and do your stuff. But I have to say, when a gig goes well, it's an incredible feeling. You know what I mean? You, you, can't, you can't top it at all. It, it's, it's like it's, yeah, it's always enough to top you back up again, isn't it? To sort yeah. of... Yeah. It, it, it's it's almost like a cruel trick and that experience that you said has stood in the wings in my really humble comedy 
I'm not even going to call it a career, but you know, my dabblings in, in comedy, that was a, yeah, a familiar thing of stood at the side, sort of, they're about to say your name. And I always used to say to myself, like, Kev, why, why have we done this? You booked to come here. Why did you, you wouldn't like, you can't berate it. You know, you've sort of, why have you put yourself forward for this again? But no, you're right. That, that buzz of sort of, yeah, storming it and, and a great mm. gig. It's, um, yeah, it's a trick. It's like similar to, like drinking i don't really drink anymore but it's one where it's um you know you have a few you know a couple of bad experiences don't you out drinking yeah. or you know it doesn't go to plan but then there's always that really good night just around the corner that oh mm-hmm. it's fine it's fine well, to keep drinking man well you know, i i can't i can't relate to the drinking side because i've never i've never been i've never been drunk in my entire life I, I I kind of feel that if I did have even two pints of beer within 15 minutes, I'll be outside shouting at the traffic. <laughs> it's never been, I've never put, put, you know, when I was a, when I was, I think the thing is when I, I think back to the, the fact that I don't drink now is when I think back to seeing my friends get drunk for the first time in their, you know, mid teens, like 15, 14, 15, 16 years old and seeing the effect it had on them of them peeing in the streets, you know, crapping themselves and spewing up. I thought to myself, this is not really a good look. They're, they're the good nights I'm talking about, Junior. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> they're, the, they're the good times I'm chasing. Man, oh, if, wow. if only I shut my pants, that would be, that'd be a success. I bet to. So, I've never, I've never, so I, I've, I've never um, gone that, I, I mean, I know the taste of things, but I've never actually got bladdered myself because uh, obviously within comedy there's there's a lot of it about well it's the arts in general isn't it but especially mm-hmm. i guess is the way that a lot of comedians are, are chasing the rock and roll lifestyle and dream i don't know if they are maybe as much these days as definitely used to be the case you know it sort of went hand in hand didn't it but for a lot of comedians it would also be the a confidence thing you know of maybe misplaced a lot of the time a feeling that they needed it to to take an edge off so yeah you've you've just approached it like completely straight the whole way through then yeah yeah i've never like i said i've never needed a drink some people need a uh a, a shot of something or a bottle of something before they go on stage or or, or pints and pints whatever but i you know you know soda water and lime or water or whatever is enough as long as i don't my mouth doesn't dry up then i'm, I'm good to go um but i've never yet yeah, i've never felt the need it's almost like you know like drugs i've never taken any drugs i've never um i've never done anything you know i've actually saying to a friend of mine a little while ago that my memories my memoirs are going to be the most boring crap ever <laughs> you know went here did a gig you know uh went back to my hotel was asleep by 10 30. that's not really i'm not exactly you know you know, I remember mean, the Rolling Stones or whatever. Yeah, it. I mean, a couple of bits come from that. You, you've done so much stuff, haven't you, over the years? Like so much TV and movies, and obviously like comedy. There's, is there anywhere that like you haven't gigs? I'd, uh, I'd imagine you've been all over the world and like gigs. Absolutely. Yeah, I've done gigs in Australia. I've done gigs in the Far East, the Middle East. I've done things in. Um, around Europe, I've, I've gigged in the States, in Canada. I've never gigged in Russia. Right, okay. And um, for some reason, that is uh, a place I'm intrigued 
by. You know, to go to a place where you don't even know whether you'll be able to come back from uh, and do comedy, I think that will be... And also, when, every time I see footage of Russia, I was thinking to myself, you, you all could do with a laugh. Yeah. You know, that I kind of feel that. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, probably people still live there. Quite a few people live there, so therefore, um, you know, th there's a reason. Um, but yeah, it, it'd be nice to go and gig in, in Russia. That, that's a, that's a little TV pitch idea. That is, isn't it? That'd be quite <laughs> interesting to see. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, Ju Junior Simpson trying to uh, make these sto hard faced Russians sort of in, in a lot yeah. where where dying at the gig could quite be a literal <laughs> meaning if they don't yeah. like it that much. Yeah. yeah. When you when you hear. And that's, that's you know the heckle is a, is a is a sniper, um, a red spot on your forehead. Yeah, um, that's the light to get off stage, definitely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, because um, like I said, I've, I've gigged, fully gigged all over the place. But it's fun. It is yeah, fun. Sure, man. Well, well, look. Let me do my little bit of kind of. Um, I I do. I'll be very. Uh, people who listen to the podcast know that my. My level of research into people is, um, you know, a, a skim through Wikipedia sometimes. But but I, I like that because I, I want to be surprised about stuff as well. You know, I, I'm in it for the, the, the chats and conversations, you know. So, but you were born in Luton, I believe. Yeah. yeah so um, I'm not too Bedfordshire boy myself. Uh, oh, where are Yeah, just up the road. Well, a little town called Biggleswade. Okay. Which is like I don't know, twelve miles from Bedford, ten miles from Bedford, yeah, yeah, something yeah. yeah, so, something like that, little place around there. Um, but you went to a, a pretty good school, didn't you? Didn't you go to like some all boys school yeah, there well, as well? It sounds posh, but you know, I went to Chorney High School for boys. Um, which I, I, I never knew why they didn't integrate the school because the girls' school was right next door. Um but yeah, I went to the boys' school, and uh, which, like I said, now sounds very, very posh and almost like it's a, it's a, you know, public school, or whatever. But it, it wasn't. It was just a, a normal, you know, state school, but just happened to be split, from one side to the, for the girls and on the other side for the boys. Got you, got you. So, um, what was the idea? Just to make people want to have like underage sex even more than <laughs> they would if they were mixing with. With each other or something like that. <laughs> we want to release some horny teenagers. Um, uh, as school as the school bell goes, I don't know really. And it was—it wasn't at that point. It's not something that I—I uh, I questioned. I just, you know, that happened to be the closest school to where I lived, um, and ended up going there. And and at that point, with my upbringing, it wasn't a question of um, questioning anything. It just the school I went to. The you know my junior school was a mixed school uh, and, and loads of other schools around the place were mixed schools, but just myself, uh, my school I went to was a, you know, sex, uh, single sex only school. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I actually, when I saw that on Wikipedia, I did have a, cause like the link takes you through to their website. I found myself down one of these strange Google wormholes that you yeah. can happen from time to time. Mm -hmm. And cause I was thinking like, right, I, I want to find Junior Simpson on the school alumni. That's what I'm, I'm at. What, what page is the, you know, the shrine to Junior Simpson on? And they're, they're actually, they've, they haven't, they've got an alumni page, but they're requesting people to fill in the alumni form 
to oh. <laughs> to send it into him. So I'll, I'll send you the link, man. You need to you need need to get onto that. You're probably the most famous, uh, successful, uh, yeah, former student. I reckon you should get onto that, man. No one else is on there at the moment. Now don't don't quote me on this, but I think uh, Paul Young. I mean, I know Paul Young, the singer, uh, is from Luton. Okay. I know, I know um, Colin Salmon. Uh, black actor, he's from Luton as well. Um, Colin Samuel is, is was a guy that did a few um, like Bond movies. He appeared in a few of those films. He's you know uh, a few bits and pieces. Um, uh, Paul Sinha as well is from Luton, but I don't right. know okay um, whereabouts. But yeah, there's a few people. Yeah, it's I I know from growing up in Bedfordshire I think my school alumni where I went there was some guy that had phoned into like Radio 4 one day or something like that was like the most celebrated thing you know he'd actually got on air okay. during drive time he was like literally the most celebrated figure that we had or actually no um Stevie V was lived in Biggles it was it Stevie V do you remember that money money talk song dirty cash whatever it was called Okay, no. Yeah, some some sort of yeah music guy for, it. but literally like uh, I don't know why it felt like around that part of the world it was you know I live in Manchester now and it's um you know obviously a much bigger place and city but you can't get away from the the heritage and everyone shouting about who's yeah. from where and who lived on what street and uh, yeah out in the the uh, Brussels fields of Bedfordshire there wasn't uh, wasn't too much had come from. I might maybe I'm now alumni because I'm speaking to you. I might have to fill that for man. I think your I think your status was established way before this conversation. So. <laughs> Thank you, mate. I, I appreciate that. So so with um yeah, growing up in sort of like Luton and, and back in the I mean it's still talked about do you still live local to there? Have you moved on from there now? No, I now live I now live in Birmingham. Uh, okay. uh yeah. And I've been here for ooh about yeah just don't no crikey i've been here for about 18 months now okay yeah i i i kind of like it i didn't think i would but i kind of like it i like the the location it's good for motorways and to get around the country for gigs and stuff but also um it's lovely for uh culturally as well um it's um yeah i'm i live maybe about 10 minutes on the train into the center of, of Birmingham. Um, you know, my, my, my girlfriend and young daughter is here as well. So it's, it's great. Yeah. It's one of those underrated places a bit, isn't it? Culturally, yeah. especially, I think people don't uh, sort of really appreciate the sort of history and everything that's there as well, but no, yeah, big old place and so much yeah, going on there. Also, the fact is, is that every, every oh, okay, the world and his wife know about London, and because of the music scene, especially um, throughout the nineties, uh, Manchester suddenly became um, such a an amazing place to to be, uh, and nobody really talks about the Midlands that much. You know, I mean, there's no, you know, you've got the Manchester scene, you've got the London thing, you've got the, you know, the I don't know the either Camden and you know Carnaby Street and Brixton and all that kind of stuff coming out of London. Nobody really talks about Birmingham that much because we've we you know talk about the Midlands. You got you know UB40, 
um, Jasper Carrot, Lenny Henry, and that's about it. Yeah. Slade as well. Slade as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's No, it's, uh, yeah, there's probably so much, I'm a bit ignorant to it myself as well, to be honest with you. Um, but like, like gr- growing up then was, because obviously this long career, as we've already established in, in comedy and everything that you've done in that, where did that come from? Was like your household, you know, have you got sort of any background in people performing and, you know, relatives or that you were close to or, or were you like bucking the trend and sort of going your what? own way with that? I, okay. Um, my, 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 I, I would say that what I do now is a direct uh, correlation um, to my, my eldest brother, Calvin, uh, was an actor. Um, okay. Calvin, Calvin Simpson. Um, and he, you know, uh, did quite a lot of stage work. He went to Chorney as well. And uh, whilst I was at Chorney, um, had a drama teacher called Mrs. Rudd. And she, like, um, encouraged him, saw his potential, encouraged him and supported him to become a an actor. And they had a drama club and all that kind of stuff. Um, and he kind of followed that passion uh, when he left school and became, you know, an established stuff as a, as a performer. Uh, as an actor, um, he did plays, did a little bit of TV and stuff, and his his career was definitely on the ascend. But unfortunately, in April of 1990, um, he was killed in a in a road accident, oh, um, and so it was kind of it's kind. And he would always say to me that. Um, uh, you know that he saw he thought that I would be a performer, even though I I wasn't at that time wasn't doing anything to regards of the the arts or whatever. I was just I literally had a a job as a an assistant manager in a male clothing store. But he always said that I had the the ability. He felt yeah I had the ability to you know communicate and to make people laugh and stuff. And so. Um, when he died, when he passed on, I think that was probably the um, the kick. I mean, not immediately, but uh, uh, about two or three years after he died, I kind of think those words that he was kept on saying to me uh, was resonating in my head. And so I thought, well, let me give this um, a go. And that was yeah. it, really. So, mm. so how, how old were you when um, that, that terrible thing happened then? Were you... Um, well, it was 19, so I was about, it was just before my 27th birthday. Okay. I'm taken out. So I, um, the weird thing about it is that he was known, uh, for everybody that knew him, knew that he would always wear odd socks. Every right. single day, he'd always wear odd socks. And the reason for this was because he wasn't the greatest timekeeper. And uh, the amount of times he'd be late for auditions or rehearsals because he couldn't find a pair of matching socks. He just hit on the idea that socks aren't that important. I'll just put the first two pairs on that I find. And, you know, first two, you know, socks I find, I'll put them on and I'll get to where I need to go. So when I heard that he was killed in a road accident, I was thinking to myself, what could I do in honour of him? And so I thought, well, if I took something which belonged to him, um, I'll probably lose it or break it. And I thought about the odd socks in. And I said, well, okay, whilst I'm going through the mourning period, in order to honour him, I will wear odd socks. Well, 
you know, 29 years later, I'm still wearing old socks every day. <laughs> Amazing. But mm. no, that's, that's so sort of that awful, uh, obviously, and, you know, a bit late in the day, but obviously condolences, you know, for, for yeah, that what must have been a, a awful, awful, awful time for you and your family. Mm. But kind of then you were sort of like, you know, 27-ish, that kind of age of, a lot of people start getting into stuff a bit younger than that, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so how how did it manifest itself then? What when when you sort of you said that it was like those words kept sort of resounding in your head, and yeah. maybe I don't. It was probably sort of sorry putting words into your mouth, but the job you you were in, you're probably thinking, this isn't what I want to be doing forever anyway, man. You know, of uh, work, working in that store. No, but the, but the weird thing, but I kind of think in a kind of weird way, it did allow me because I was I was talking to the members of the public every day, uh, and had come in and you know, you kind of feel I kind of felt that in order for somebody to to buy something or whatever, not I was conning anybody, but in order for people to buy something and to feel relaxed and whatever, I would make them laugh or make them smile or or be, you know, just kind of chatty with them. And I suppose that then um, it wasn't that difficult for me when I walked on stage for the first time to actually be communicative and, and being able to get what I had on my mind out, as it were. Yeah, I got you. Because it is that, I, I think if you're of a certain mindset, and you obviously must have had it in you before this mm. time anyway, you know, because it's, I don't think you could, be possible for someone to do a complete switch you know if they were going to be that unsuited to performing and especially comedy you know making people yeah. laugh and and coming up with stuff were you mm. were you always like funny growing up then was that like a, a big part of the household was humor a part well, of that my I, I would say that my my um my parents when i was growing up would say oh julia so stupid um which I guess, you know, I would then see, now I kind of realised they were saying, instead of saying, you're so funny, they say, you're so stupid. So therefore, because, I, because people are always laughing around me and all that kind of stuff. And then I kind of realised that that's basically, they, they substituted the word funny for stupid. Um, so, yeah, um, you know. Yeah, you, you, talk you, really you, you keep telling too. yourself that, Junior. <laughs> 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 no, no, it's it's a compliment, isn't it? It's endearing when when people say that. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's so. How did you sort of make that that jump? Then was it sort of local open mics, or you know, what was the the first foray that you had into it? Um, I gave. I was I was dating a lady, a female lady person, um, and she had been invited to I think a cousin's wedding. And I went along as a plus one and just thinking to myself that, well, it's, it'll be, um, you know, it'll be nice to, I, I like this woman. So therefore I thought to myself, well, we'd go along, we'd have a nice day. And obviously, you know, weddings and stuff, it'll be, it'll be a, a cool thing. And that was basically it. Um, it turned out that during the speeches, which were going on for ages, I wanted to go to the toilet, but the, MC uh, had actually opened up the floor to anybody else who wanted to say something to the bride and groom. 
And so I uh, was watching for uh, a moment where I could sneak out. And because everybody kept going on, and some people were going for ages, some people would be very, very quickly, some of people just stand up and toast the bride and groom. Uh, but everybody and his wife wanted to say something. And so I thought, well, this is going to go forever. So some guy stood up, and then I stood up at the round about the same time to make my way out. And the MC must have, I must have caught his, or must have seen me move. I said, oh, this guy would like to say something. And I, <laughs> and I was froze like a deer in headlights. And I, I, I can't, I couldn't really say, well, I don't know these people. I just know, you know, the woman I'm here with today. Cause I don't know the family. I don't know. I couldn't even remember the names of the couple who got married. So therefore I, um, I just kind of wish them well. And then related to something, which I can't remember what, I, I kind of related to something which happened during the service, which got a laugh. And then I related to something else which had happened, which got another laugh. And then I spoke about my parents being married for X amount of years, and that got a big laugh. And that turned into a kind of routine. And I was just sort of like just talking out of my butt. How, how, long, how long did you do, Junior? They reckon I, I did about six, seven minutes. Okay, that's good. I thought you were going to say about 45 then or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first Edinburgh show, yeah. <laughs> yeah then, the, then the dancers came out, so it was all over. Um, so, yeah, I, and I suppose that um, was my first uh, foray uh, into the world of performing. And somebody else who was there knew a guy... Uh, called Noel Faulkner, who ran the comedy cafe at that time in Shoreditch, London, and said, you should really give the guy a call because I think, you know, you should, you know, try, you know, stand-up. I said, well, I, I don't do stand-up. And she said, well, yes, you do. And I says, well, no, I don't. She goes, yes, you do, because that's what stand-up is. Because um, at that point, I'd be watching people like Ben Elton and... Uh, and that and Jack D and Lee Evans and everything on TV, and I think, well, I I don't do what I don't do that. And it goes, well, no, you just you know you talk, you're funny, so they give it a try. So I went down uh, about eighteen months after we'd had this conversation, and uh, yeah, it it and it, it wasn't really the fact I was getting laughs on the night my first time on a proper comedy stage and like an open mic thing. It was a fact of the feeling that I had when I performed. It was, you know, yeah, it was unbelievable. Well, yeah, I, I bet, and, and especially going back to that thing of, yeah, no, you know, not even half a lager or something like that. You know, you would sort of proper the raw emotion of it, which probably mm -hmm. heightened, probably makes it scarier at times, but then also heightens, I'd imagine, the, the, the buzz of it as well. Mm, and mm. how how did you approach them like because uh, you're sort of known for and correct me if i'm i'm wrong in sort of like you know bookending your your act as such but mm. um you know you're really chatty it's upbeat it's friendly it's anecdotal like high energy people talk about with you as well was that sort of like right from the get-go or did it take you a while to find who junior simpson was as a as an act I think you, um, I think who I am on stage now is just myself exaggerated. Um, but I think that is 
um, how it's always been. I haven't suddenly changed and become a different character. I think if you if you look back at the early early stuff um, that I I've, I've done or even somebody recorded my first time on stage, it's always been that kind of anecdotal or talk about family or my view on things, my opinions. But it's always about me, as it were. And, and yeah. there has to be an element of truth in what I, I talk about. I I can't, I'm not one of those comics who can talk about um, a conversation between a badger and a horse. I have to talk about things which I've 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 seen or experienced or felt um, or people in my life. I can't really take myself out and imagine, you know, uh, uh, talk about conversation between, um, you know, uh, I mean, okay, you can pick things out of the air or things between the news. You know how a conversation between Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump would go. You can imagine how that would um, take shape. But as regards to to find the real funny, I think there has to be an element of, of truth in it. Yeah, yeah, that rela- it's that relatability, isn't it? And um, yeah. sort of, yeah. um, not just relatability, what's the word that I'm looking for? But it, it, it's not quite the right word, it will probably come to me, but it, I, I think, I think people, I, people can tell when it's real, when it's genuine, can't yeah. they? Yeah, if it's real or if it's bullshit. And I think the thing is, is that when I, because I'm not, necessarily i don't have a political stance that i want to um you know expand or, or or share with the world i don't have a a particular view on like i don't have a particular view on a, a football team or style of music that i want to share the world share to the world but i i, I like to mention things which are important to me and dear to me so i'll talk about my family i'll talk about my past experiences i'll talk about uh my view on 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 very very limited subjects but subjects which i think there's relatability for other people whether you're black white gay straight young old male female you can still relate to it there has to be that 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 um you still find it relevant within your life so therefore you, you know you could be a member of royalty or you could be you know, a bus driver, or you can be, as long as you can understand the language in which I'm speaking, then I, I, and it doesn't really matter for me around the world where you come from or where I am. It's about being able to relate to those people in that room at that time. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where it can be from, and again, from an outside view, obviously looking in, but it seems like over, over the years and even some that I've spoken to recently of you know, black comedians on the circuit, that they almost feel a, a pressure to almost go political at times, you know, and into the mm. the, the race elements and to almost be quite hard-hitting, you know, and, and fighting back. And, hey, look, I, I support that 100%. You know, I love my mm-hmm. political stuff, you know, and, and comedy with an edge is sort of, you know, was my early influences and, and things that I grew up with as well. But it, is that something then that you've never really felt a need to sort of tackle, you know, on that side. You're just about the the real life stuff for you. Yeah, and my, and for me, my life isn't my my life isn't the fact that. Uh, how can I put this? I've never. I'm not saying that other other comedians of of color 
how they had this experience, but I've never felt the need to go after a different ethnicity. I've never felt the need to go after, you know, you know, black people do this, but white people do this. I I've never felt the yeah, need yeah, yeah. to do that. I've never, my, my, my idea about the people in the room is to unite us. And I'll, don't worry, I'll, I'll highlight uh, your difference and I'll highlight different things or whatever, but it's never on the attack. Or ne you know, I might attack um, or uh, share an opinion that I have or feeling about a particular person, but I won't go after them. It has to be a situation. I want to, if I talk about somebody or some a group of people, I would have to feel confident that they would be able to handle and laugh at what, what I'm saying, as opposed to get um, angry or upset or felt that they were being attacked. That's not what my job is. My job is not to attack anybody or to get some shit off my chest. My job is to entertain, hopefully, and make them laugh. Yeah, and and it's um, I don't know. There's there's it's it's strange the the comedy circuits are. It feels like a strange place at the moment, you know. And probably out in clubland, it's not overly different. But that you know the conversations that you see in the media, at least, you know. And if you make the mistake of a uh, getting too addicted into all the forums and Twitters and all mm. that sort of thing that there is as well. You know, there, there is a lot obviously being said at the moment about attacks on free speech or that audiences yeah. aren't as open to controversy. You know, people are a lot, you know, I don't know, closed minded, you know, that they, they, mm -hmm. they want the softer stuff. Have you seen much of a change in, you know, the lie of that land over the years as well? I've seen not so much in the not so much in the in the general clubs in the general clubs, and I think it's because it's just the way that I've been schooled over the years. In the general clubs, be it the comedy store, um, the comedian up the creek or wherever, when there's regular comedy clubs happening somewhere uh, on a weekly basis, you know that it's your home, and so therefore you can go in on stage. And you've honed your set and you can deliver it. And 95 times out of 100, you know, they will accept it because they know that they are in your, they're in, they're on your court. They're on your, you know, your playground. So therefore, and that's, there's an understanding um, between the audience and also the fee, the fee paying audience and also the performers that, you know, this is my house. So therefore, um, what I'm about to say might not be something that you'll be able to or want to repeat outside this room or this era or this time. But, you know, I, I set the rules. When you then go out and do shows in uh, either on cruise ships or in a corporate environment or a special put together evening, that's when the you'll find out that people's sensibilities and suddenly people will get offended on somebody else's behalf and that's yeah. when you're kind of a cautious um you, ha you have to be cautious about how you uh, maneuver within those environments yeah it's it because it is such a unique medium almost in that way isn't it of yeah. you know almost a, a nice piece of music almost mm. any location that you are is a nice piece of me music it's a good song but yeah. 
you can take a joke and put it in a different room to one that hasn't got a stage and got lights and that it's it's seen as a weapon at times or you know it is it's a completely different beast and the thing is is that um how can i put okay I, i mentioned cruises a little while ago the fact is is that in the cruise ship um environment i've i've done quite a few cruises uh, over the years and some of them are like going out and doing you know a set at at the comedy store other comedy clubs are available um on a friday saturday night and it's rocking and you can say whatever you like and the audience are will go down, will, will, you know, laugh hard and enjoy it and then congratulate you afterwards. But that's a very, very small minority of the ships which are out there. For some reason, um, people kind of feel that if they're on a cruise ship, for some reason, if they've got a suit on or a ball gown, they're suddenly James Bond and, you know, Shirley Bassey. <laughs> right. And they think that they are way above anything. I've done shows where I've been heckled mercilessly um, on stage because um, I'm sorry, but you can't swear in front of a lady. Um, I'm sorry, but we don't want to, we don't appreciate your view on on this thing or that thing. We want you to stand up there and tell jokes that we can repeat. Um, to a seven-year-old yeah. afterward. And that's basically the way that, you know, for years upon years, that's the way that the cruise industry, I feel, has been going. And I think it's a mistake because, for me, their audiences are dying out because um, they are stuck in that whole 1970s, 1980s way of entertaining. They want someone to go out there, open with a song, do some take the piss out of somebody uh, in a jovial way in the front row, do yeah. some jokes that they can they, they learn from a book and stuff, and, but don't have anything which they deem controversial said from the stage. I've had a, a few years ago, maybe about three years ago now, before Trump got into office, I was doing uh, a cruise ship around the Mediterranean and I just mentioned um, Donald Trump not in a, I'm not particularly in a derogatively derogative manner. I just mentioned him um, on the stage, um, and and this young American kid who'd obviously been indoctrinated from his by his parents, I guess, to to believe that Donald Trump was a savior. Yeah, all mankind, the great, the great white yeah. hope, and all that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, um, said something, and we had a bit of a conversation um about it uh, and then his father piped in say donald trump will be the best thing for america because we need a um we need a, a a businessman he's not a politician he's a businessman and i said it's kind of like what you're saying is saying that well um i went down to the uh the dentist but my regular dentist wasn't there so therefore i'll see this bloke because he's a businessman he's got <laughs> Somebody who's got who's got no, my view was somebody who's got no experience uh, of, of working in public office or working for the people, as it were, um, shouldn't be in charge of um, a country. 
because of uh, different kinds of people, different um, social scales, uh, different earnings, different needs or whatever, which comes with that job. And just because somebody who's apparently good at business isn't the person you, you need someone with compassion, who gives a shit, who cares. And it seems to me that America, I don't want to get political here, but it seems to me America has done a complete 180 on who they had in before. Yeah. Um, and I kind of feel that for me, Trump is like the emperor's new clothes. Um, as regards to America's concerned, you know, even though he's screwing up left, right and center, America as a nation won't own that because um, they, you know, they've convinced themselves that this is the guy. Yeah, it's. I mean, we've got enough of it going on on our own shores as well, haven't we? Really, yeah. I think a big part of it as well for people is that people aren't very good at admitting that they're wrong or the yeah. the, the the hope that they've pinned everything to isn't actually what it was meant to be. But mm. it, there's people it, in all kinds of situations. They just hate admitting. Do you know what? I was probably wrong oh, about that. You know, yeah. and backing down on stuff. It's, um, I mean, we've got it compl- talk about Emperor's New Clothes. We've got exactly the same going on here at the we moment, know. you know, where literally, you know, old, uh, old Boris has walked into number 10 Downing Street. He might as well have been naked and no, literally no one still would have said anything. You know, it's, uh, no, it's yeah, su- again, such an interesting yeah, time. Yeah, but then again, I kind of feel Boris's thing is, is different because Boris, was forced upon us. You yeah, know, it's true. Yeah. Well, 150,000 people who, who, who voted, who were members of the Conservative, their membership, whatever, and they were the ones who said, okay, we'll go with you because you've done, have I got news for you more time than the other guy? <laughs> so therefore, we recognise you from the TV. We are in a reality TV life. People's lives and their opinions is governed by what they've seen on the telly, and because they recognise him, um, they think that he's the one they're going to go for, because it's that whole recognition thing. Even though he's, if left to his own devices, he will screw up left, right, and centre. And to be honest with you, I hope we never get to that stage. But um, I kind of feel that this is a pass that we're on. And also, it's a direct coalition, correlation to what's happening in America. America, Donald Trump got elected because he was on the Apprentice, not because yeah. of any great um, uh, bills or any great movement that he kind of pushed through when he wasn't it, it wasn't president. It's all because they recognised him from the telly, and he was very very bullish and and kind of like a bully in regards to the debates and all that kind of stuff. And now he's got the top job, you know, in the land, and he's screwing up left, right, and centre. But he refuses to acknowledge um, he's doing anything wrong. I was watching a, uh, a thing on Netflix called When They See Us. Okay. Uh, the um, Central Park Five, um, about five young black guys who were arrested and accused of the rape and murder of a woman back in um, the late 80s. Right. Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't watched it yet. I need to catch it up is- on that. Yeah amazing a really really powerful bit of tv um it's incredible i would encourage 
everybody to seek it out and watch it. And it shows the fact that Donald Trump was, um, these are um, five young black guys who were out in Central Park and were arrested the same night that a, a woman was assaulted. And he was, he took an ad in the New York Times saying that they should be, they should bring the death penalty back for these um, five young black guys. Even the evidence that was, it was kind of like a crime being committed in, um, uh, gosh, in, let's say, uh, Piccadilly, by the train station Piccadilly, and these guys getting arrested were in Cheatham Hill. And so therefore, because they happened to be out at the same time, the distance and everything between the two places was irrelevant. And they needed somebody to pin this on. And so they depend it on these five, five black guys. And they were sent to prison and spent years upon years upon years, locked up, ruined their lives completely. And he, even though they were com- totally, completely, without a shred of a doubt, exonerated, and they found the person who actually did the crime, Donald Trump still to this day will not take back the fact that he made a mistake. Huh. Yeah. Mm. No, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it, it's, no it, it's fascinating times. We're, we're clearly at a crossroads with stuff, aren't we? And it's, uh, yeah. Um, no, I apologise. I don't know how we, we went down that uh, <laughs> route. <laughs> I mean, that was... <laughs> Remember, you do have an edit button. It's okay. Uh, like I said, but, oh, fuck it. I can't bother. To, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Put it out, man. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> when everyone's like, uh, yeah, tuning in for... Uh, a bit of junior and saying hang on a minute what's going this is the other side man what's going on <laughs> i hope we get that guy off the cruise ship i hope he picks up on it yeah i'm gonna gonna tag him on that <laughs> but what are you up to at the moment then man and sort of like sorry two questions i do that a lot let's do the first one first what's the the drive then to sort of keep gigging and performing other than paying the mortgage or or whatever mm. it might be is there uh, i'm always fascinated by this i know that you know if if it's in your blood and if it's what you do you're obviously always going to be be interested but you know what's the ambition and, and goals still um I, don't, I i kind of in all honesty i kind of feel that my moment of getting my own i don't know you know suddenly becoming the next um i don't know uh, Mickey Flanagan or the next John Bishop or the next Peter Kay. I think my moment as regards to that has has gone. I could be wrong, but I think um, the style of who you see on TV or in films on a regular basis that has changed uh, somewhat. And so therefore my moment not so much I missed it. I kind of feel that it's just evolved into something else. And I don't right. think I necessarily fulfill that demographic. However, um, my thoughts now is just to keep, for me, it's more important to go out and do a good show and to be, you know, to have uh, people, uh you know, a, a, an evening of distraction than to really, um, you know, 
fill up my bank account, how to, um, you know, top up my pension and to kind of get that big house in the country or whatever. All I want to do is make sure that I make people might listen to this and say, well, he's not very ambitious, but I kind of feel that my job isn't to, my job for me isn't self-serving. Yeah. To go out and to give people um, at least their admission, they feel that they haven't been duped by paying to see me. That's it. That, that hopefully that people enjoy it, and then they'll, um, you know, will 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 leave smiling. I think that yeah. that, that, that I've done a good job. Whether that leads to uh, another TV gigs or more films, or or I, I suddenly creep up the bill, the billing somewhere. That's nice, but then again, that's not within my control. You know, there are people in you know down in london or in manchester birmingham or whatever who can actually make that happen but they'll probably they may go another route but then again if it doesn't happen for me i kind of feel blessed that i'm still doing a job that and i'm still being booked to do a job that i i thoroughly enjoy and a job that i would um do for free yeah yeah and, and you know let let's make it clear for the people listening who might not be aware you know you've done so much tv work you know o- over the years you know there's not you know we meant like never mind the buzzcocks and you know it's probably a not many panel shows of, of that of that nature that that you've not well, been on been, you... yeah. yeah and it's fun and it's enjoyable but i've always been when i've done these shows never on buzzcocks they think it's all over um you know, even like stupid punts and blankety blank and all that kind of stuff. Every time I've done these shows, I've done it and I've enjoyed it. But I've never been thinking about, well, if I kind of um, work my way in this, this could lead to another gig. I've always just seen it as another, a gig for that evening, like going down to a room above a pub for that moment and doing another 20 minutes, 30 minutes set, getting paid and leaving. It's always been about that moment and if that moment leads to another moment great but it's never been well only do it if it's going to lead to xyz yeah yeah that makes it and that's probably part and testament to them why you're still gigging uh you know the way that you are and you know still getting books as you said all over the place and still enjoying it as well and, and sort of getting that buzz from it of mm. of, of taking that approach and an attitude with like all the tv and radio and and like movie stuff that you've done as well you're in love actually yeah Um, like what arguably like the biggest british comedy of all time potentially you know like an absolutely amazing thing to be on is it always back to the comedy though for you then despite these you know little little adventures in other places Always, always, always back to performing live in front of a room full of strangers. Um, I have friends who, you know, people I started out with and gigged with who will go out and do a show and who have now reached the status of being known worldwide. Yeah. And they know that the audience, 95% of the audience there, are there specifically to see them. And that's a great feeling to be. That's a great uh, position to be in. But 
are kind of like at the moment um could I, I can only live by my i can only testify about for my own experience but I kind of i'm still enjoying the fact of going out being introduced onto stage to the audience as a relative stranger to them but when i leave the stage that they'll hopefully remember me for the next two or three days yeah yeah if that makes sense you know what i mean as opposed to oh let's go and see mr x or whatever and oh yeah i've had my tickets for him for the last you know four months can't wait to see him oh it's great and everything i had a great time but you know i kind of knew before i walked through the door what i was going to get because i'd already paid 40 50 pounds to see him yeah. and when i pay 50 quid to see somebody there's a your level of expectation goes up to match the money you've paid whereas i'm a relative people the vast majority of people in the room have never heard of me before i went out on stage but hopefully like i said when i finished and have left for the next 48 hours i might resonate in their mind for a bit yeah and i'm surprised that if that is the case to be honest with you i don't know if that's maybe a little bit of um i don't know you maybe being uh what's the I'm not very good at my words today am i this, there you go we found a bit that i'm going to edit out when i <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't i don't think i'm being you're modest are you modest no, that's it do you think you're being modest about it i don't think so i think the vast majority of people um wouldn't know me from a i wouldn't say a hole in the ground but they wouldn't know me you know i'm not necessarily uh okay i've done some tv back in the day but um i'm not i'm not a household name so therefore because i've not been on tv uh on a regular basis for quite for quite a while and i'm not saying that i'm not bitter about it it's just the evolution of things you know what i mean um more people would know josh whitikum than they'd know junior simpson uh more people would know um um, uh, uh, I don't know. More people would know uh, Simon Amstel than would know Junior Simpson. Right. And it's just the reality of things. But then again, I can't be. There's no point me getting angry or bitter or feel or re resentful because of that. You know, maybe you know, maybe part of that is down to my own efforts or or, or whatever. But all the all, all the fact is is that. I don't suit that particular demographic. You know what I mean? More people know Adam Hills than know Junior Simpson. But, you know, not to say that I couldn't or wouldn't, you know, do the job, but it's just that, you know, producers, directors, program makers, um, you know, they, they fit me in where they think I would do a good job or know me. Um, and then other people don't know who I am, yeah. even in the industry, but they don't, they're not aware of what I do. Um, because I kind of feel a lot of TV people don't really go to the clubs that often. They'll go to the Edinburgh Festival and they'll go to other bits and pieces, but they won't hit the clubs. I, uh, I, do you know, I was just about, about to make that exact point of it, actually, of it. Maybe it's just a timing thing because obviously all the comics 
the the sort of career path of, of mm-hmm. the comic now does seem to be get your Edinburgh hour as quickly as you can, race yeah. to it almost, get to that really quickly, yeah. hope to get nominated or at the very least spotted and pick up mm-hmm. some TV work off the back of it, yeah. and then tour for the rest of your yeah. life, basically, yeah. and have the odd book every 18 months or mm. or something like this. So I guess if you're sort of timings, if you would have been born 15 years, 20 years later, that yeah. probably would have been what you'd be doing now, I'd imagine. But maybe it's just uh, the, the timing element of it. Yeah. And there's, and there's nothing that I can do which is going to um, change that. I remember when I used to go into London for a lot of auditions for various parts and you'd walk in and be confronted by 15 or 20 other um, versions of yourself, but they always were younger and slightly taller versions of myself. (laughs) And I thought to myself, well, there's nothing I can do about my age and there's nothing I can do about my height. So therefore, unless I am particularly what you had in mind, irrespective of what I bring to this audition or whatever, um, isn't going to do anything you know what i mean and not to say i was i was um this um i wouldn't say i was being defeatist i think it was just being realistic and not uh allowing myself to beat myself up if i didn't get the part for one thing or i didn't get the gig for another thing or whatever there's you know things i've, I've learned to accept and let go the things which don't come my way but put the energy into um, the things which do come my way and appreciate that as opposed to getting pissed off about, oh, well, I didn't get a spot on uh, whatever. I haven't got my own Netflix special now. I don't have um, X, Y, Z. Um, I'm happy. I have a great partner. I have an amazing, uh, I have amazing daughters. Um, yeah. I always say that I love I love my kids um, and there's nothing that I, I wouldn't do for them. However, sometimes I can't help thinking if we didn't have my daughters, I'd be living in a bigger house and driving a better car. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, that's basically it. <laughs> yeah, it's but no, it's um, yeah, really interesting to hear you, you talk on that because, you know, you, you're someone who, you know, I've always looks up to in the industry you know and and someone who i've always you know through through my eyes again from the outside maybe looking in but would deem to as someone who's had a really successful career you know and um i i guess going back to those days of um well if that person at the wedding had said to you oh by the way if we fast forward from this point now 25 30 years whatever it would have been Mm. that you would have done all this stuff in between and this is where us having this conversation today is going to take you mm. you'd, you'd probably well you'd think they were mad wouldn't you i'd imagine yeah yeah because you, you you never you never um can i i always think that it's a dangerous path to be on anyway to, if you if you have a game plan or life plan as a gas especially as a performer because if some of these things don't pan out as you expect them to or or want them to it can be quite 
debilitating, you know what I mean? It can actually harm what you've achieved or your ability to achieve more. I think you have to be realistic and um, realistic about your situation, but also appreciative of what you do have. And I think um, I, I never want to spend my the majority of my life looking back and thinking if only if only if only i don't yeah. want to you know spend my life thinking about regrets whether i've got um a million in the bank or whether i've got a tenner in the bank i always want to appreciate where i am at this moment and what i have at this moment no definitely that's a that's a, a beautiful sentiment and it's um yeah, really good advice. I, I think I guess that's the danger of the creative arts, isn't it? Is that you always think, oh, I, I was the same as well. You know, again, apologies to mention stuff that I was doing, but you know, it was just like you sort of have your first little goal, don't you? Of going like, look, all I want is to start getting paid for gigs, and and then mm. at that stage, you think, then I'll have made it, and then you get to that, and then it's you realize there's another room and then there's another yeah. room beyond that. And these yeah. rooms go on forever. And I guess yeah. if you're always chasing the next room, then mm. that's the sort of route to insanity and, and madness and, and, yeah. and everything else, isn't it? It's kind of like, the, you know, the picture of the person walking up the stairs, but it's, they're, they're always continuous. Yes. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. I don't remember the name of it, but it's a, it's a love, you know, literally. And so yeah, when it gets, Trick it's of the a, eye type things, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, but yeah, I, I never want to be on or feel that I'm going around in circles or on a treadmill or whatever. I want to uh, in, embrace and enjoy this moment. I want to embrace and enjoy, um, or, or sort of have good memories of my last moment, but always be looking forward and enthusiastic about my next moment. But um, yeah, so yeah, I, I, I don't want to kind of get bogged down with why aren't I, you know, why don't I have the career of Simon Pegg? Because me and Simon started at the same time. We're both in the Hackney Empire New Act of the Year back in 94. We're both in the final of that. And I remember having a chat with Simon at the back of the theater thinking that, oh, but apparently according to the Evening Standard and The Guardian, you know, we were the one and two pick for the winners for that year. Um, it turned out to be Ardlo Hanlon um, <laughs> and a guy called Wara, um, who actually got, who actually won those nights because um, Ardlo Hanlon at that point was just incredible. And then when Wara came out and he had a, a blinding set, um, Ardlo Hanlon, you know, went off to Father Ted and, and what, and the superhero sitcom, whatever, and loads of other yeah. things. And Wara, I, I don't think he's he's gigging anymore. But you know, that's that's life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I kind of, and, and also Simon is now. You know, uh, I was watching a, a thing on Amazon Prime called The Boys, which is a sort of like a uh, a thing about superheroes if they were had publicists and agents and all that kind of stuff and he has a part in that he's also you know good friend with tom cruise and does the mission impossible films and all that kind of stuff and is in star trek so he's having a, a great time um 
doing his stuff and is kind of celebrated as one of the great talents, um, you know, from the UK. Sure. Uh, and, you know, and I, and I wish him well and everything, but I don't feel any jealousy or, um, I, and I wouldn't, tra- but I wouldn't trade my life for his because there's things in my life which aren't in his life. And, yeah. I, and I guess he definitely wouldn't change, change his life for mine because there's things in his life that aren't in my life. And so therefore, when I think about the switcheroo, I would kind of still like to hold on to the things in my life, my family, my girlfriend, my, my daughters. I'd like to hold on to that stuff. This is far more important to me than, you know, travelling around and being this, that and the other. Yeah. Chase, always chasing isn't it i guess that's the, the the danger for it but um no it's uh you know you you clearly are a guy and and fully deserved and earned and 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 everything else you know of one of the best comics on the circuit you've mentioned you know how long how long you've been going for as well and um yeah you know that that stuff doesn't come by fluke you know you, you clearly are hugely talented comic is still able to to go out and smash it absolutely everywhere you go and to get that buzz from it and me being completely jealous of, of being able to do it without even having a bloody drink or anything man that's like uh <laughs> good oh man yeah but that was uh yeah that that would uh yeah that would that would be the dream of where to get to with it most definitely uh, what what are you up to at the moment then then dude where are you sort of like where can come, people come and see you next you you can uh-huh. Just a labour uh, at the moment. Oh yeah, I'm kind of my, my diary is still um, kind of healthy. I'm gigging literally all over the place. I would say um, I need to kind of kind of up my game on social media because I I really let things like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook all that kind of stuff um, fall by the wayside. But I think now that I've spoken to you, I will start uh, posting more about what i'm going to be about um and i think just yeah follow me follow me on twitter and instagram and maybe i will you know let people i'll let people know Mm -hmm. by that way but i am i'll be yeah hopefully heading to a town or a, a a comedy club near everywhere soon yeah well i'll put all the links in the i say this every show i'll put all the the links in the uh in the notes that people listening now you can scroll down and and cool. uh, yeah to be able to follow junior on all the social medias and and stuff like that and mm. um yeah i'm uh, launching a, a comedy festival up in manchester next year cool. um mm-hmm. in april I'll, I'll give you a shout man i'll see if the dates work out and stuff like yeah. that it's yeah. uh, just a little indie thing can you believe manchester doesn't have a solely comedy festival at the moment it's you know that ha- hasn't for a few that, years man it's a joke you know that leicester has a comedy festival and What's manchester that? leicester yeah. has yeah. a comedy festival yet manchester doesn't i know man that, that know. doesn't make sense to me no so i'm in my my own small efforts i'm i'm gonna be planting a, a tiny seed of something that i'm hoping is uh yeah gonna grow and grow and grow so uh yeah and not I bet they all start out like this, don't they? I'm going for a not-for-profit, not-for-ego festival, and I'll speak to you in 12 months, and I'll be the biggest 
bastard you've ever spoken to. <laughs> who's that? Oh, who's that with the massive cigar in yeah. the back of the Bentley? Oh, that's that's Kev. <laughs> yeah, he's gone. He thinks he's Mister Big Shot because he started the comedy <laughs> festival. But no, no, that's not the plan for it. It's uh, yeah, sort of starting small roots but building up from it. But uh, no, we'll chat about that, man, because it'd be uh, an honour if you were free to get yeah, you up for that as well I'm look thank you. no that's cool man and look thank you for speaking so like honestly and and candidly and openly and everything with us there it's uh it it, it makes these podcasts and I, I do say this from time to time as well but every episode of, of people that i'm speaking to is always like so different it's like amazing mm. how every episode turns out be, to be so different to the the one before and then to the one after as well yeah. um but no, fascinating man. And as as I said, you know, most most generally, a, a guy that I've you know looked up to and admired over the years for what you've achieved on the circuit and are doing. And uh, now it's been a real honour, man. Real pleasure to speak to you today. Great talking to you too, Ken. Have a great awesome. day. Awesome. All the best, my friend. Take care. Bye bye. So thank you very much, Junior Simpson, for what was a marvellous chat just the other week. Uh, really, really enjoyed that. Uh, I said it at the start, I say it quite a lot, but it's the openness and candidness, isn't it, of people during these conversations that just always puts me on the back foot almost. It's um, those tragic events that kind of gave him the spur and, and first sort of got him thinking along the lines of that he had to be doing something in his life and a little bit more the chance comments of, of someone at a wedding to him as well when he needed to go to the toilet. It's, um, don't worry, I'm not going to get all deep and meaningful here. But it's those little bits, isn't it? And we either choose to act on them or ignore them. And probably both versions and options are followed through impulse in the moment. But what an amazing guy to talk to. So experienced, so much knowledge. And look, get onto his bloody social media, will you? And give him a bit of a a kick up the backside on that as well. Uh, He gigs all over the place all the time. He's a fantastic performer. Uh, so well respected in the industry and one you know where if you see his name on a bill you you know what you're going to get but I mean that in a positive way in that you know he absolutely gives his all 100% powerful outgoing exuberant energetic performer Uh, it's an absolute treat to watch him going through his craft so other than the usual give us a bloody follow as well on social media at pullback reveal you'll find us uh, on twitter and facebook there's a sort of half asked attempt at a uh, what's it called youtube page as well at the moment and a few other bits and bobs going on i've, I've got a few more pre-recorded to go out and then potentially a couple of weeks break just to regroup um set up all the new equipment get in the names that i've got agreeing to do it which again will blow you away so absolutely like top draw comics and i've i've got that little side festival on the go as well haven't i uh the west Disbury comedy festival 2020 24th 25th 26th of april uh next year where up in manchester i'm putting on a festival of big names in small spaces i might go with that for i don't know i might work on that one but no thanks very much for listening thanks very much to junior again and i wish you all well See you soon. Bye-bye.